So we're going to talk today about love languages. I know some of you are familiar with a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Uh, Originally, this was a couple's book. It was about keeping love alive in a marriage. His point was the falling in love stage takes on average about two years. So when you're blissfully in love with someone, an average of two years, that emotion is going to last. And if you get married in the midst of that time, which a lot of us do, what happens when that's gone? What do you have left when you're no longer a fool in love, right? When you actually look at that person and go, What was I thinking? (laughs) And he had come up with a concept of how you can build love, how you can learn to love someone, how to show them love and how to receive love back from them, uh, even if you don't feel in love with them anymore. You can build something more substantial than what you had when you were just dating. Now, he realized after a while these concepts work for all relationships. And so now there are versions of that same study for parents, for teenagers, for singles. Uh, There's uh, the five love languages for the workplace. There's one for loving people with Alzheimer's. There's even a military edition, which I'm I'm a little puzzled by. You know, do military people love people differently? I'm not sure. But anyway, that's there. Um, The point is... This is a concept. It's not scripture, and we're going to talk scripture this morning, but Gary Chapman is not a writer of scripture. I want you to know that. It's just a, it's something that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. When you really get down, drill down into your most important relationships, what it comes down to is the things I'm doing for him, for her, are they receiving them in, with the intent that I mean them to? Do they feel loved by all the work I'm putting into this? Are they... Is it just sort of bouncing off of them like BBs? Um, What are they doing that I'm not interpreting as love that really is? Uh, So the concept is everyone needs to feel loved. Even the toughest, most cynical person in this room, whoever that is, I don't want anybody to volunteer and say, that's me. But whoever that is, that person needs to feel loved. They may not show it, they may not reveal it or say it, but they need it. Chapman calls it, the way he puts it is everyone has a love tank and they need it to be filled. Now, I'll just tell you right off the top, my wife hates that term, okay? Because like we went to a five love languages thing years ago and you're encouraged to ask your partner, um, so how's your love tank? So I asked Carrie that the next week and she's like, please don't ever say that to me again. That's just, that doesn't work for me. And I'm like, okay, all right. Regardless of what term you use, It's this idea that inside of you, there's a spot that needs to be filled. And if you feel like it's being filled, there's a joy that comes from that. I think we can all agree. There's a joy that comes from knowing that the most important people in my life, whoever they are, friends, parents, spouse, if there's a spouse, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, if there's one of those, roommate, et cetera, if those people, you feel like they really love me now, They're meeting my needs. That's worth more than all the money in the world. That can bring you joy that nothing else can. On the flip side, you may be very successful in in various points of your life, but if you don't feel like those relationships are solid, you would trade all that you have to make them right because you're miserable. And the way you get your tank filled, so to speak, is different than the way I do. 
So what he says is there are five basic ways people receive love and express love. And these are what he calls the love languages. I'm going to go through them real quickly, and then we're going to talk about one in particular. Uh, Words of affirmation. That's the one we're going to talk about today. Words of affirmation. Everyone needs to hear you're doing a good job. You're important to me. I appreciate you. The lack of that is painful, right? Even, again, even the person who's the most independent-minded and I don't care what others think of me, there's somebody in their lives they want to hear from that person, I appreciate you. There's quality time is another love language, and that is time with no agenda. There's time where you're not looking at your cell phone, time where you're not watching TV, time where you're focused on that person, listening to them, paying attention to them. There's gifts, receiving and giving gifts. Now, you hear that and you think, oh, yeah, that's, that's for the money-grubbing people, the materialists. But that's not materialistic. It's the thought that goes into a good gift that they appreciate, that they give, and that they receive. Then there's acts of service. So anything you do that removes some area of responsibility, that takes something off their plate, is an act of love that they feel, oh, you care about me. You actually did this for me. And then there's physical touch. Um, within marriage, obviously, that en- encompasses sex, but it, it encompasses all kinds of affection and all kinds of relationships. Some people relate that way. So we're going to talk about each of those over the next five weeks. And our love language is the way we feel loved, but it's also the way we tend to express love. It's the way we enjoy uh, expressing love for someone we care about. So you can imagine what happens if, let's say, within a marriage, there's a man whose primary love language is physical touch and a woman whose primary love language is acts of service. And she can't figure out why he comes home every night from work and just sits on the couch and doesn't pay any attention to her and lets her do all the dishes and all the, all the vacuuming and, and, and do everything around the house, doesn't pay any attention. He's just glued to that TV, and at the end of the night, he wants to get in bed with her, right? And, she, and he can't figure out why he always wants to do that, but she doesn't. So obviously, she doesn't love me as much as I love her, and she's going, I do everything for him, and he does nothing for me. So obviously, I love him way more than he does me. And do you see the conflict? Because they're coming from different points. Or, or within parenting, you've got a teenage son, and that son just wants you to spend time with him. And you're buying him all kinds of stuff. You're buying, him, uh, you're buying him nice clothes. You're buying him the brand new Jordans to play basketball in. You're buying him everything a kid could want. And he's like, yeah, that's great, but you never listen to me. You never pay attention to me. Or that group of friends that you hang out with, and there's that one particular friend that you spend most of your time with, and you think, well, obviously she knows that I love her because I'm spending all this time with her. But when you're with her, you're just... You're just dishing. You're just, you're just venting, and, and you're complaining about all the problems of your life. You never once say anything kind and affirming to her, and she feels used. So my recommendation to you, if you don't hear anything else I say, is get the book. Go to the website. The website is fivelovelanguages.com. Discover, you know, there's a place on there where you can take a little test to discover your love language. It gives you a profile, so it ranks all five of them, how important they are to you. This week, I got my son to get on there because I got to tell you, I'm, I think I've got my wife and my daughter. I pretty much understand their love languages, but my son was a mystery to me. And he got on there and did the little test, and I'm like, really? That's, really, that's your love language? Okay, good to know. So if you can get 
someone important in your life to, to take that test. That'll give you some information. Even if not, it'll help you quantify these things so you can use them in your own relationships. So here's the truth. The truth is all five of these, everyone needs all five of these to some extent. Some you need less than others. Some you need more. For instance, when I took the test, gifts came in last. Gifts are lowest on my list. That's not my love language. And yet, when my birthday comes around, if my wife didn't get me anything, I'd be hurt. And I can think of some things that I've received from her and from others that still mean a lot to me. So I still need gifts, even though that's not my primary language. Today, we're going to look at the, the idea of words of affirmation. See, there's, there's a lot of verses in Scripture. We could, spend, uh, we could spend all fall just looking at Scriptures about the power of words, but I want to show you two this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The word encourage, the word encourage literally means to come alongside. Some of you may be familiar with this, but in the book of John, in John, I think it's John 15, Jesus is promising his disciples, hey, I'm about to go away from you, but don't worry, it's actually a good thing that I'm going away because if I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. And he gives the Holy Spirit a name. He calls him, it's a word, parakaleo in Greek, which means the one who comes alongside. You know, yesterday, I ran, Will and I ran in this 5K, and the thing is, if you're running and you're running a long distance, which 5K is long for me, not for some of you. But you get kind of lonely, right? You get worn out. But if someone comes alongside you and says, come on, you can do it. You can, you can make it. Don't give up. Yesterday, people came alongside me, but they didn't do that. They just kept on running. And that's, that's not the same. This is talking about somebody who comes alongside you and helps you, encourages you, pushes you. That's the picture of encouragement. We encourage one another. He, he commands us to do that. Um, then when he says build each other up, that's a term that comes from the, the literal term to build a house. And, it, and it, it means to increase the potential of someone else. When you have someone, some of you have experienced this. Some of you, sad to say, probably have never experienced this. But many of you have. There's been at least that one person in your life who whenever they came around, they could speak words that could light a fire under you. They could speak words to you that made you think, okay, I guess I am doing okay. I guess I can do this. I am capable. They encouraged you. They breathed life into you. They showed you your potential, and they kept you going. Our words have power. They can inspire people to do more than they possibly could have done before, to be more than they possibly could have been. And there are folks who started down low and now have got their life together because someone believed in them and expressed those words of affirmation. And then look at Ephesians 4.29. Again, there's lots of verses like this. We're just looking at two. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome work, I'm sorry, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, in the NIV, it says unwholesome talk. Uh, that word is literally rotten. Years ago, I, I, I had this brilliant idea. I was, I was out 
doing hospital visits, and I thought, hey, I think we need milk. I think I seem to remember we're out of milk. And I stopped and got milk, threw it in the trunk of the car, and forgot about it. You know what happens when you leave a carton of milk in your trunk in July for about a week? Not good things. That's rotten. You know, there's very little that's nastier than the smell of rotten milk. It, it took forever to get that smell out of my car. And that's what he's talking about. Let your speech not be rotten, but instead let it be for building others up according to the need. It's the same word he used in Thessalonians about building a house, um, but according to their needs. Pay attention to that. That means that we don't just go around saying these witty aphorisms, these, you know, generalized statements of encouragement. Hey, looking good there. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Hang in there. No, you know what the person you love needs to hear. What is it that they're sensitive about? Where are they insecure? What kinds of words do they need to hear from you? Now, how do you know if a person you love especially needs words of affirmation. How do we know, without getting them to take the test, how do we know that they have that love language? Well, they're going to be a person who words are important to them. They, they take great care in what they say. They probably write a lot of cards or notes. Maybe not, but that could be a sign. I remember growing up, my mom used to drive us crazy. We'd all be watching TV, and she'd say, turn that down. I've got something I want to read to you. She'd read something in an article, and she'd want to read what she was you know, words were important, are important to my mom. That's an important thing to her. If they have this love language, they're probably easily hurt by things other people say. Things that if you're not a words of affirmation person, maybe those things just sort of roll off you or you even are like, hey, let's, let's do this. You and me, let's go, you know. But they, on the other hand, feel hurt. How could they say that to me? And they obviously brighten when complimented. You know, there are people who when you try to compliment them, they're embarrassed by it. They're like, okay, stop it. But people who enjoy words of affirmation, you can tell their eyes light up. They really appreciate it. If you write them a note or card, they keep it. They keep it forever. And again, everybody needs words of affirmation. Some people just need them more than others. So again, don't take that for granted. What I'm about to say isn't just for the people who are especially drawn to words of affirmation. This is for loving everybody who's important in your life. So how do we do that? Um, Wait, one more point before I get to that. Believe it or not, God loves words of affirmation too. God has commanded us to praise him. There's a whole book of the Bible, longest book of the Bible, which is a book of praise, the Psalms. All through the scriptures, we're told to praise the Lord in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and other ways. It's not because God is insecure and he needs to be affirmed. It's because, get this, he knows it's good for us to praise him. See, C.S. Lewis makes this point. I, I love this point. When he, when he made it, it, it clarified a lot of things for me. If you really enjoy something, you want to talk about it. You want to praise it. If you went out last night and had the best steak of your life, you want to tell people how good it was. If you saw a really great movie, you want to tell people. You want to give them a couple of the funny lines, right? If you saw this incredible play in the ball game yesterday, you want to talk about it. You want to pull it up on YouTube and say, watch this. We want to praise the things that bring us joy. In fact, praising those things actually completes the joy itself. That's why it's frustrating for a person who's in love to not be able to tell the person he loves how much he loves that person, right? You want to express it. You want to say it. 
And so when we praise God, it's not like God's like, oh, thank God. Thank, thank me, right? I've been waiting for that. No, God's not needy, but he knows when we praise him, it blesses us. It completes our enjoyment of his goodness. So, ways to bless the important people of our lives with words, all right? Y'all ready for this? I got seven of them. Don't you like the number seven? Seven's a good number, right? Number one, pray for self-control and wisdom in the words we speak. Remember what Paul says, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth. We hear that, and I think a lot of us church types think of foul language, and that probably encompasses that, but I think more than that, it encompasses words that you say that hurt others that you can't take back. Words are like toothpaste. Once you get it out of the tube, you can't stuff it back in. Once it's out there, and I think even the gentlest person in this room, whoever that is, has probably said things that he or she wishes they could take back. So pray. Pray, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me self-control. Give me patience to think carefully about the things I say so that I don't wound people with my words. Secondly, apologize. Yes, There are people in this room, probably a lot of people in this room, who need to go to somebody important in their life and say, you know, I was thinking the other day about that thing I said to you a few years ago. I don't even know if you remember it or not, but I still feel bad about it, and I want to say I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. It was wrong of me. I didn't mean it. It was just my emotions speaking. I'll tell you, because I've got some experience with this. I've said some things I shouldn't have said to people I love, and apologizing doesn't take it away. Doesn't make it all okay, but it's a step in the right direction. It's an important step. If you never acknowledge that awful thing you said, they're going to think, you know, deep down inside, she really meant it. She's playing nice now, but she really meant that. So go and apologize. Third, look for opportunities to compliment. Look for opportunities to praise others. So, so Chapman tells the story of a woman who came to him and she said, I don't know what to do. My husband doesn't love me. He said, what do you mean? She said, well, I keep telling him, you need to paint the bedroom. The bedroom needs painting. I keep telling him, when are you going to paint the bedroom? Last week, he, he spent all weekend just cleaning and detailing our cars. And I said, yeah, but I want you to paint the bedroom. She said, what do I do? And he said, well, first of all, does he do anything that you like? She said, well, yeah. He said, well, we'll name some things. She said, well, you know, he works hard. He makes a good salary. He's pretty patient. He doesn't lose his temper with me. Um, you know, and she listed a few other things. He said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to compliment him at least once a day for the next month and don't ever mention the bedroom again. She's like, how is that going to work? He said, listen, trust me. I don't know your husband, but trust me, he knows you want him to paint the bedroom. But right now, you're giving him absolutely no motivation to do that. So she says, fine, I don't know what good it'll do, but I'll I'll try it. Within a week, she came back and said, he painted the bedroom. Compliment people. Let them know they're doing good. You know, it's counterintuitive because we think, If I criticize, that's going to motivate them to change, but it actually doesn't. If I keep pointing out what I'm missing, then they'll be motivated to change, but it doesn't work. Now, listen, there are times when you do need to take a stand and say, listen, you can't treat me this way. I know we're friends, but 
we can't be friends anymore if you do this. There are times when that happens. There are times when you have to make a need known to someone in your life, whoever that person is. But a little criticism goes a long way, and people need to hear good things. Why not, why not look for opportunities? Why not try to catch them doing good and say, I appreciate that. That's a great job. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Look for opportunities to praise. And then fourth, write some of them down. You know, some of you may not be real eloquent on the printed page. Some of you may not have good penmanship. I'm chief among them. But if you write these things down, you'll be surprised how much that means to the person who gets a card, a note, even an email from you. Um, a pastor I know once wrote a thank you note to a guy who had, just for just a thank you, hey, thanks for teaching my son's Sunday school class. He really appreciates you. Thanks for investing in him. Years passed, and that man died, and this pastor went over to the house to, to visit with the widow and to plan the funeral. And so they're talking, and she's, and she's telling him all about her husband and, and what she wants in the funeral. And she said, you know what? Come here. I want to show you something. And she went into the hallway, and she pointed up to this frame. And there in the frame was that card that the pastor had written that man, the thank you note. She said, look, you wrote him this note all these years ago, and that meant so much to him. And he's like, I had no idea. You have no idea how much your words of affirmation will mean to someone. And when you put them in print, that gives them the opportunity to keep them. Because if you speak them, that's great, but that goes away. On the printed page, it can last forever. Here's another one. Praise them in front of other people. This has an incredible power, too. So here's a, here's a quick story about me. Uh, growing up, I loved sports, but I wasn't a great athlete. Um, I, used to, I used to wish, man, I wish my, my dad could brag about me hitting the home run or me, you know, rushing for 200 yards or whatever. So one time I fell at school and, and hurt my wrist. It was baseball season, and I kept playing baseball even though my wrist hurt really bad. They ended up x-raying it and find out I had, I had a, a fracture in my wrist. And a few days later... I heard my dad talking, and he knew I was there. He was talking to a, a group of other men. He said, hey, man, my son played two baseball games with a broken wrist, so I know he's tough. You have no idea how good that made me feel. I mean, my dad's praising my toughness in front of other men. That was fantastic. When you praise someone in front of others, when you say, for instance, ladies, you know, I appreciate my husband. Here's what he did for me the other day. Don't we tend to do the opposite, though? Don't we tend to pick on each other in front of others? And yeah, that's fun. But once in a while, it's a good thing to say, here's what I appreciate about this guy. Here's what I appreciate about this person in front of them, in front of others. And then here's an important one. Learn what they most want affirmed and what is off limits for humor or criticism. This is an important one for me because I like to joke. I think a lot of you do as well. But it's important to know what things aren't joke-worthy with that person because they vary from person to person. I can say in general, guys, there's no woman on earth who wants to be teased about her physical appearance. I've never met the woman who wants to be teased about that. Ladies, I've never met a man who wants to be teased about his physical strength or his courage. And you may say, oh, my husband's a computer nerd. He doesn't care. I, he knows that he's not strong. Well, he wants you to think he's strong. He wants you to think he's brave. You can wound him if you treat him like he's not. And whoever you're relating to, friend, 
spouse, child, you need to learn to know that person well enough to say, number one, I don't pick on them about this. Number two, here's where they really need affirmation. Here's what they put a lot of work into. Here's what matters to them. And I need to notice it. And I need to bring it up. Because if I want to love this person, I'm going to talk about these things. And I'm going to tell them what they need to hear. They need some applause. They need some encouragement in this area. All right? Now, that person, you, may, you may tell that person, oh, you look great today. Well, they may not care about that. But they care intensely that you notice how hard they work here at church or how hard they work around the house. They may care intensely about that you notice um, their, their, their parenting skills or uh, how clean they keep their house or something like that. So be aware of what they most need affirmed. And then finally, and this is important too, praise them when they aren't around. If you haven't figured this out, the truth is whatever you say about someone eventually gets back to them. Has anybody not learned that yet? Okay. That's important to know, especially in a church. Whatever you say about a person gets back to them. Even a church this size, you're talking to that person, you don't realize that's their brother-in-law, right? Um, So whatever you say about someone is going to get back to them. I don't care who you talk to. But if you're saying good things about that person and they hear secondhand, hey, you know what he said about you? You know what I heard her say when when we brought you up? That's some of the truest praise you'll ever get. One of the best ways to affirm somebody else. Because then that person knows there's no agenda there. That person knows you didn't intend for them to hear it, but they heard it anyway. You're not trying to get something out of them. So here's my challenge to you this week. Pay special attention to your words. Seriously, every morning wake up and say, Lord, give me wisdom, give me self-control, give me patience, help me to use my words correctly. And especially the words you say to the people closest to you. Whoever those people are, those most important relationships this week, work on biting your tongue when you're about to say that sarcastic remark. By the way, sarcasm, I love sarcasm, but it doesn't do us any good in relationships, especially if that other person doesn't speak sarcasm. That's not, yeah, that's not their love language. That's right. And and by the way, your love language is not sarcasm. I just want you to know that. It's just not. (laughs) So work this week in those most important relationships on only saying what builds up on only saying what encourages. And I know, I know some of you are proud of the fact that you're not all mushy-gushy and tender-hearted, but you can learn. You can do this. It's not going to make you a wimp, I promise. You're still tough. You're still strong. But people around you need to hear something good from you. All right? So let me pray for us, and uh, then I'll turn things over to y'all. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for every person in this room for the important relationships in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And you spoke to us words that we'll never forget. Words like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, go and sin no more. You said that to a woman who was struggling in sin. Lord, you've spoken words to us that have changed our lives. Teach us. Teach us, Lord, to use our words well. Give us patience, give us gentleness, 
self-control and wisdom in the way we speak. And I pray that this week the people around us would see a difference. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.